thirteenth paper of the last day of the condemned by victor hugo this librivox recording is in the public domain thirteenth paper i have lately witnessed a hideous sight as soon as it was day the prison was full of noise i heard heavy doors open and shut the grating of locks and bolts the clanking of bunches of keys the stairs creaking from top to bottom of thick steps and voices calling and answering from the opposite extremes of the long corridors my neighbours in the dungeons the felons at hard labour were more gay than usual all in the prison seemed laughing singing running or dancing i alone silent in this uproar alone motionless in this tumult listened in astonishment the jailer passed I ventured to call and ask him if there was a fete in the prison. A fete, if you choose to call it so, answered he. This is the day that they fetter the galley slaves who are to set off tomorrow for Toulon. Would you like to see them? It would amuse you. For a solitary recluse, indeed, a spectacle of any kind was an event of interest, however odious it might be, and I accepted the amusement. The jailer, after taking the usual precautions to secure me, conducted me into a little empty cell without a vestige of furniture and only a grated window, but still a real window, against which one could lean, and through which one could actually perceive the sky. Here, said he, you will see and hear all that happens. You will be alone in your box, like the king. He then went out, closing on me locks, bolts, and bars. The window looked into a square and rather wide court, on every side of which was a large six-storied stone edifice. Nothing could seem more wretched, naked, and miserable to the eye than this quadruple façade, pierced by a multitude of grated windows, against which were pressed a crowd of thin and wan faces, placed one above the other, like the stones of a wall, and all, as it were, framed in the intercrossings of iron bars. They were prisoners, spectators of the ceremony, until their turn came to be the actors. All looked in silence into the still empty court. Among these faded and dull countenances there shone, here and there, some eyes which gleamed like sparks of fire. At twelve o'clock a large gateway in the court was opened. The cart, escorted by soldiers, rolled heavily into the court with a rattling of irons. It was the convict guard with the chains. At the same instant, as if this sound awaked all the noise of the prison, the spectators of the windows, who had hitherto been silent and motionless, burst forth into cries of joy, songs, menaces, and imprecations, mixed with hoarse laughter. It was like witness the mask of demons. Its visage wore a grimace. Every hand was thrust through the bars, their voices yelled, their eyes flashed, and I was startled to see many gleams in its thieves' ashes. Meanwhile, the gallery sergeants quietly began their work. One mounted on the cart and threw to his comrades the fetters, the iron collars, and the linen clothing, while others stretched long chains to the end of the court, and the captain tried each link by striking it on the pavement all of which took place under the mocking raillery of the prisoners and the loud laughter of the convicts for whom they were being prepared. 
when all was ready two or three low doors poured forth into the court a collection of hideous yelling ragged men these were the galley convicts their entry caused increased pleasure at the windows some of them being great names among their comrades were saluted with applause and acclamation which they received with a sort of proud modesty several wore a kind of hat of prison straw plaited by themselves and formed into some fantastic shape these men were always the most applauded one in particular excited transports of enthusiasm a youth of seventeen with quite a girlish face in this prison he had made himself a straw dress which enveloped him from head to foot and he entered the court jumping a somerset with the agility of a serpent he was a mountebank condemned for theft and there was a furious clapping of hands and a volley of cheers for him at length the names were called in alphabetical order and they went to stand two and two companions by similar initials so that even if a convict had a friend most likely their chains would divide them from suffering together thus they were exchanging their worn-out prison garments for the thin and coarse clothing of the galleys the weather which had been hitherto uncertain became suddenly cold and cloudy and a heavy shower chilled their thin forms and saturated their vesture a dull silence succeeded to their noisy bravados they shivered their teeth chattered and their limbs shook in the wet clothes one convict only an old man retained a sort of gaiety he exclaimed laughing while wiping away the rain and shaking his fist at the skies this was not in the playbill when they had put on their miserable vestments they were taken in bands of twenty or thirty to the corner of the court where their long chains were extended at every interval of two feet in these chains were fastened short transverse chains and at the extremity of each of the latter was attached a square iron collar which opened by means of a hinge in the centre and closed by an iron bolt which is riveted for the whole journey on the convict's neck the convicts were ordered to sit down in the mud in the inundated pavement the iron collars were fitted on them and two prison blacksmiths with portable anvils riveted the hard unheated metal with heavy iron hammers this was a frightful operation and even the most hardy turned pale each stroke of the hammer aimed on the anvil resting on their backs makes the whole form yield the failure of its aim or release movement of the head might launch them into eternity when the separation was finished the convicts rose simultaneously the five gangs joined hands so as to form an immense circle and thus ran round and round in the court with a rapidity that the eye could hardly follow they sang some couplets in their own idiom to a melody which was sometimes plaintive sometimes furious often interrupted by hoarse cries and broken laughter like delirious ravings while the chains clanking together in cadence formed an accompaniment to a song more harsh than their own noise a large trough was now brought in the guards striking the convicts to make them discontinue their dance took them to the trough in which were swimming i knew not what sort of herbs and some smoking and dirty-looking liquid having partaken of it they threw the remainder on the pavement with their black bread and began again to dance and sing 
This is a liberty which is allowed them on the day they are fettered, and the succeeding night. I gazed on a strange spectacle with such aching, breathless attention, that I totally forgot my own misery. The deepest pity filled my heart, and the laughter made me weep. Suddenly, in the midst of a profound reverie into which I had fallen, I observed the yelling circle had stopped and was silent. Then every eye was turned to the window which I occupied. The condemned! The condemned! shouted they, pointing their fingers at me, and their bursts of laughter were redoubled. I was thunderstruck. I know not where they knew me, or how I was recognized. Good day, good night, cried they, with their mocking sneer, one of the youngest condemned to the galleys for life, turned his shining noodling face on me, with a look of envy, saying, He is lucky, he is to be clipped. Good-bye, comrade. I cannot describe what passed within me. I was indeed there, comrade. The scaffold is sister to the galleys. Nay, I was even lower than they were. The convicts had done me an honour. I shuddered. Yes, there, comrade. I remained at the window, motionless, as if paralysed. But when I saw the five gangs advance, rushing towards me, with phrases of disgusting cordiality, when I heard the horrible din of their chains, their clangs, their steps at the foot of my wall, it seemed to me that this knot of demons was scaring myself. I uttered a shriek, I threw myself against the door violently, but there was no means of flight. I knocked, I called with mad fury. Then I thought I heard, still nearer, the horrid voices of the convicts. I thought I saw their hideous heads appearing on a level with the window. I uttered another shriek of anguish and fainted. Fourteenth paper. When my consciousness returned, it was night. I was lying in a truckle bed. A lamp which swung from the ceiling enabled me to see a line of beds similar to mine, and I therefore judged that I had been taken to the infirmary. I remained a few moments awake, but without thought or recollection, really engrossed by the happiness of being again in a bed. Certainly in former days this prison hospital bed would have made me shrink with disgust. But I am no longer the same individual. The sheets were brown and coarse to the touch, the blanket thin and ragged, and there was but one straw mattress. No matter. I could stretch my limbs very ease between these coarse sheets, and under this blanket, thin as it was, I felt the gradual decrease of that horrible chill in the marrow of my bones, to which I had lately been accustomed. I slept again. A loud noise awakened me at daylight. The noise came from without. My bed was beside the window, and I sat up to see from what it arose. The window looked into the large court of the Bicetre, which was full of people. Two lines of veterans had difficulty in keeping a crowd away from the narrow passage across the court. Between this double rank of soldiers, five long wagons loaded with men, were driven slowly, jolting at each stone. It was the departure of the convicts. These wagons were open, and each gang occupied one. The convicts, in consequence of their iron collars being attached to the centre chain, are obliged to sit back to back, their feet hanging over the sides of the wagon. The centre chain stretch the whole length of the cart, and on its unfastened end the sergeant stood with his loaded musket. There was a continual cranking of the prisoner's chains, and at each plunge of the wagon their heads and pendant limbs were jolted violently. 
a quick penetrating rain chilled the air and made their wet slight vesture cling to their shivering forms their long beards and short hair streamed with wet their complexions were saturnine they were shivering and grinding their teeth with mingled rage and cold but they had no power of moving once riveted to that chain each becomes a mere fraction of that hideous whole which is called the gang intellect must abdicate the fetters condemn it to death and the mere animal is not even hunger that it set mouths thus fixed the greater part half clad with bare heads and no rest for their feet they began their journey of twenty-five days the same sort of wagons the same portion of dress being used in scorching julys and the cold rains of november one would almost think that a man wishes heaven to take part in his office of executioner between the crowd and the convicts a horrible dialogue was maintained abuse on one side bravados on the other imprecations from both but at a sign from the captain i saw the sticks of the guard raining indiscriminate blows into the wagon on head or shoulders nor returned that kind of external calm which is called order but their eyes were full of vengeance and their powerless hands were clenched on their knees the five wagons escorted by mounted gendarmes and guards on foot passed slowly under the high arched door of the reception the crowd followed them all vanished like a phantasmagoria and by degrees the sounds diminished of the heavy wheels clanking feathers and the yells of the multitude entering maledictions on the journey of the convicts and such was their happy beginning what a proposition my counsel made the galleys i was right to prefer death rather the scaffold than what i have seen fifteenth paper unfortunately i was not ill therefore the next day i was obliged to leave the infirmary to return to my dungeon not ill no truly i am young healthful and strong the blood flows freely in my veins my limbs obey my will i am robust in mind and body constituted for a long life yes all this is true and yet nevertheless i have an illness a fatal illness an illness given by the hand of man since i came out of the infirmary a vivid idea has occupied me a thought which affects me to madness namely that i might have escaped had they left me there those physicians those charity sisters seem to take an interest in me to die so young and by such a death one i would have imagined they pitied me by their pressing round my bed bah it was curiosity i have no chance now my plea will be rejected because all was legal the witnesses gave correct evidence the counsel pleaded well the judges decided carefully i do not reckon upon it unless no folly there is no hope the plea is a cord which holds you suspended over an abyss and which you feel giving way at each instant until it breaks it is as if the axe of the guillotine took six weeks to fall if i could obtain my pardon my pardon from whom for what and by what means it is impossible that i should be pardoned they say example is requisite c'est dans la rue du mail où j'ai été coltigé maluré 
Par trois coquins de rails, lire l'onfa malurette, sur mes six confoncés, lire l'onfa maluré. Sur mes six confoncés, maluré, ils m'ont mis la tartouve, lire l'onfa malurette, grand meudon et taboulé, lire l'onfa maluré. Dans mon trimain rencontre, lire l'onfa malurette, un pègre du quartier, lire l'onfa maluré. Un pègre du quartier, maluré. Va-t'en dire à Malargue, lire l'onfa malurette, que je suis enfouraillé, lire l'onfa maluré. Malargue tout en colère, lire l'onfa malurette, m'dit, qu'as-tu donc morfillé, lire l'onfa maluré. M'dit, qu'as-tu donc morfillé, maluré. J'ai fait suer un chêne, lire l'onfa malurette, son auberge est enganté, lire l'onfa maluré, son auberge est sa toquante, lire l'onfa malurette, et ses attaches de C. Lire l'onfa maluré. Et ses attaches de C maluré. Ma largue part pour Versailles, lire l'onfa malurette. Au pied de sa majesté, lire l'onfa maluré. Elle lui fonce un babillard, lire l'onfa malurette. Pour me faire défourailler, lire l'onfa maluré. Pour me faire défourailler, maluré. Ah, si j'en défouraille, lire l'onfa malurette. Ma largue gentiferait, lire l'onfa maluré. Je l'y ferai porter Fontange, lire l'onfa malurette, et soulier galuché, lire l'onfa maluré, et soulier galuché, maluré. Mais grand dab qui se fâche, lire l'onfa malurette, dit, par mon caloquet, lire l'onfa maluré, je l'y ferai danser une danse, lire l'onfa malurette, où il n'y a pas de plancher, lire l'onfa maluré. Seventeenth paper. Whilst I was writing, my lamp faded, day and night appeared, and the clock of the chapel struck six. What can be the meaning of what has since happened? The turnkey on duty came into my cell. He took off his cap, bowed to me, apologized for disturbing me, and making an effort to soften his rough voice, inquired what I wished to have for my breakfast. A shudder has come over me. Is it to take place today? Eighteenth paper. I feel that it is for today. The governor of the prison himself came to visit me. He asked me how he could serve or accommodate me. He expressed a hope that I had no complaint to make respecting him or his subordinates, and inquired with interest regarding my health and how I had passed the night. On leaving me, He called me, Sir. Oh, it surely is for today. Nineteenth paper. The governor of the prison thinks I have no cause of complaint against him or his jailers. He is right, and it would be wrong of me to complain. They have done their duty, they have kept me safe, and then they have been complacent at my arrival and departure. Ought I not to be satisfied? This governor, with his benign smile, his soft words, his eye which flatters and spies, his coarse heavy hands, he is the incarnation of a prison. Ah, hapless creature, what will become of me? What will they do with me? Twentieth paper. Lo, I am calm. All is finished, quite finished. 
I am relieved from the dreadful anxiety into which I was thrown by the governor's visit, for I confess I still felt hope. Now, thank heaven, hope is gone. Let me record what has happened. At half-past six the door of my cell was opened. An old man with white hair entered, dressed in a brown greatcoat. He unfastened it, and beneath I saw the black cassock and bands of a priest. He was not the usual chaplain to the prison, and I thought this appeared ominous. He seated himself opposite to me with a quiet smile, then shook his head and raised his eyes to heaven. I understood him. "'My son,' said he, "'are you prepared?' I answered in a low tone, "'I am not prepared, but I am ready.' Then my sight became troubled. A chill damp pervaded my frame. I felt the veins on my temples swelling, and a confused murmur in my ears. Whilst I vacillated on my chair, as though asleep, the old man continued speaking, at least so it appeared to me, for I think I remember seeing his lips move and his hand raised. The door opened again. The noise of the lock roused me from my reverie and the priest from his discourse. A person dressed in black entered, accompanied by the governor of the prison, and bowed profoundly to me. He carried a roll of paper. Sir, said he, with a courteous smile, I have the honour to bring you a message from the Attorney-General. First agitation was over. All my presence of mind returned, and I answered in a firm tone, Read on, sir. He then read a long, technically expressed paper, the purport of which was the rejection of my plea. The execution will be to-day, added he. We shall leave this for the concierge prison at half-past seven. My dear sir, will you have the extreme goodness to accompany me at that hour? For some instants I had no longer listened to him. While his eyes were fixed on the paper, the governor was occupied in talking to the priest, and I looked at the door which they had left half open. Ah, hapless me, four sentinels in the corridor. Again I was asked when I would be ready to go. When you please, I said. At your own time. I shall have the honour of coming for you then in half an hour, said he, bowing, and all the party withdrew. Oh, for some means of escaping! Good heavens! Any means, whatever! I must make my escape! I must! Immediately! By the doors, by the windows, by the roof! Even though in the struggle I should destroy myself! Oh, rage! demons, maledictions. It would take months to pierce this wall with efficient tools, and I have not one nail, nor one hour. 21st paper. Concierge prison. Here I am transferred, then. Let me record the details. At half-past seven, the messenger again presented himself at the threshold of my dungeon. Sir, said he, I wait for you. Alas, and I saw that four others did the same. I rose and advanced one step. It appeared to me I could not make a second. My head was so heavy, 
and my limbs so feeble, but I made an effort to conquer my weakness, and assumed an appearance of firmness. Prior to leaving the cell, I gave it a final look. I had almost become attached to it. Besides, I left it empty and open, which gives so strange an appearance to a dungeon. It will not be long untenanted. The turnkeys so they expected someone this evening, a prisoner who was then being tried at the court of assizes. At the turn of the corridor, the chaplain rejoined us. He had just breakfasted. At the threshold of the jail, the governor took me by the hand. He had reinforced my escort by four veterans. By the door of the infirmary, a dying old man exclaimed, Goodbye! We shall soon meet again. We arrived in the courtyard where I could breathe again freely, and this refreshed me greatly. But we did not walk long in the open air. The carriage was stationed in the first court. It was the same which had brought me there, a sort of oblong van divided into two sections by a transverse grating of close wire. Each section had a door, one in the front, one in back of the cart, the whole so dirty, so black, so dusty, that the hearse for paupers is a state carriage by comparison. Before I buried myself in this moving tomb, I cast a look round the yard, one of those despairing looks which seemed to ask for a miracle. The court was already encumbered with spectators. Like the day when the convicts departed, there was a slight chilling shower of the season. It is raining still, and doubtless there will be rain all the day, which will last when I have no more. We entered the van. The passenger and a gendarme, and the front counterpart, the priest, myself, and a gendarme in the other, with four mounted gendarmes around the carriage. As I entered it, an old grey-eyed woman who stood near exclaimed, I like seeing this, even better than seeing the galley convicts. I can conceive this. It is a spectacle more easily taken in at one view. Nothing divides the attention. There is but one man, and on this isolated being, there is as much misery heaped as on all the other convicts together. The van passed with a dull noise under the gateway, and the heavy doors of the Bicetre closed after us. I felt myself moving but in stupor, like a man fallen into a lethargy, who can neither move nor cry out, and who fancies he feels that he is being buried alive. I listened vaguely to the peals of bells on the cars of the post-horses which drew the van, the iron wheels grating over various substances in the road, the cracking whips of the postillion, the galloping of the gendarmes round the carriage. All seemed like a whirlwind which bore me away. My mind was so stupefied with grief that I only conceived ideas as in a dream. I saw the blue towers of Notre Dame in the distance. Those who will be on the tower with the flag will see my execution well, said I to myself, smiling stupidly. I think it was at that moment that the priest addressed me again, and patiently let him speak. I had already in my ears the noise of the wheels, the galloping horses, the postillion's whip. 
therefore it was only one more incomprehensible noise i listened in silence to that flow of monotonous words which deadened my thoughts like the murmur of a brook and they passed before my torpid mind always varied yet always the same like the crooked elms we passed by the roadside the short and jerking voice of the messenger in the front of the van suddenly aroused me well chaplain said he in almost a gay tone what news have you to-day the chaplain who spoke to me without ceasing and who was deafened by the carriage made no answer well well how the van rattles one can hardly hear oneself what was i saying to you chaplain oh ay do you know the great news of paris to-day i started as if he was speaking to me no said the priest who had at last heard him i have not had time to read the papers this morning i shall see them this evening when i am occupied in this way all day i order my servant to keep the papers and i read them on my return bah replied the other it is impossible that you have not heard what i mean the news of paris the news of this morning it was now my turn to speak and i said i know what you mean the messenger looked at me you really and pray what is your opinion about it you are inquisitive said i how so sir replied he every one should have a political opinion i esteem you too much to suppose that you are without one as for myself i am quite in favour of re-establishing the national guard i was a sergeant in my company and faith it was very agreeable to i interrupted him by saying i did not think this was the subject in question what did you suppose then you professed to know the news i spoke of something else with which paris is also occupied to-day the fool did not understand and his curiosity was awakened more news where the deuce could you learn news what is it my dear sir you know what it is chaplain do let me hear about it i beg i like news you see to relate to the president it amuses him he looked from one to the other and obtained no answer well said he what are you thinking of i am thinking said i that i shall be past thinking this evening oh that's it returned he come come you are too sad mr castine conversed on the day of his execution then after a pause he continued i accompanied mr Popovoin on his last day the warriors altar skin cap and smoked his cigar as for the young men of la rochelle they only spoke among themselves but still they spoke as for you i really think you are too pensive young man young man i repeated i am older than you every quarter of an hour which passes makes me a year older he turned round to me some minutes with stupid astonishment and then began to titter come you are joking older than i am why i might be your grandfather i have no wish to jest else bravely he opened his snuff-box here my good sir don't be angry take a pinch of snuff and don't bear malice do not fear said i i shall not have long to bear it against you 
At this moment the snuff-box, which he extended to me, came against the grating which separated us. A jolt caused it to strike rather violently, and it fell wide open under the feet of the gendarme. Curse the grating, said the messenger. Then turning to me, he added, Now, am I not unlucky? I have lost all my snuff. I lose more than you, said I. As he tried to pick up the snuff, he muttered between his teeth, More than I, that's very easily said. No more snuff until I reach Paris. It's terrible. The chaplain then addressed him with some words of consolation, and I know not if I were preoccupied, but it seemed to me to be part of the exhortation of which the commencement had been addressed to me. By degrees, conversation increased between the chaplain and the officer, and I became again lost in thought. The van was stopped for a moment before the toll gate, and the inspector examined it. Had it contained a sheep or an ox, which was going to be slaughtered, they would have required some money, but a human head pays no duty. We passed through the gates, and the carriage trotted quickly through those old and crooked streets of the Paulberg, Faubourg St. Marceau and the city, which twisting across each other like the many paths of an anthill. On the pavement of these narrow streets the rolling of the wheels became so noisy and rapid that I could hear no other sound, though I saw the people exclaimed as the van passed, and bands of children followed its track. I fancied also I occasionally saw in the cross-streets ragged men displaying in their hands a bundle of printed papers, their mouths open as if vociferating something, while the passengers stopped to purchase. Half-past eight struck by the palace clock as we arrived in the court of the concierge prison. The sight of its wide staircase, its dark chapel, its sombre gates, made me shudder. And when the carriage stopped, I fancied the beatings of my heart stopped also. But I collected my strength. The door was opened. With the rapidity of lightning, I jumped from the moving prison and passed between two lines of soldiers. Already there was a crowd formed on my path. End of 21st Paper <laughs>